Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota of Brookhaven has been voted best new car dealership in Southwest Mississippi four years in a row. Come see the difference. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota of Brookhaven, we deliver. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. Sometimes it takes interviewing two guys, actually better yet, two brothers, at one time to get the whole story. Today on In a Mississippi Minute, I'll be doing just that. Rock and roll Hall of Fame stuff we're talking about. As the co-founders of the legendary band Heart. Yes, I said it, Heart. Roger Fisher and Mike Fisher played their roles to a T. Roger hammered out famed licks on his guitars with such grace and fury and wrote songs, sorry, anthems like Barracuda. Hmm. While Mike Fisher produced and engineered, managed, he had drumsticks in his hands. I think he just wore like a hundred hats, it sounds like. And their sound would become like no other. Along with sisters Ann and Nancy Wilson, they took the music world by storm. Please welcome today the Brotherhood, Roger Fisher and Mike Fisher. What's up, boys? Hey, Steve. Now, now please don't tell your audience that we paid you to say all that stuff. <laughs> I'm the king of the intro. I make all my guests feel extremely loved. What's going on, guys? So, Okay, so Roger, where are you? I'm in Monroe, Washington. My uh, girlfriend and I live on the edge of a really beautiful forest. Where and I live, I live in this uh, beautiful place on the other edge of the same forest, <laughs> uh, probably been an hour south of Raj, in a place called Fall City, which is right next to this huge waterfall. It's really pretty here. I, I want to dig into, there's so much uh, that I want to talk to you guys about. I mean, just the career, just the, your, well, first of all, you, you've had success beyond heart before and during and after, but obviously, we're going to dig into heart because our listeners are just obviously it's uh it's a you know they're just so many of us uh grew up while we grew up with you because you're not that you're not that much older than me if you are I, I may be older but we all grew up together loving what you guys did and and you know it's tough to to make rock and roll history the list is short so mike so you were the drummer you so you were playing drums at the time it sounds like you were doing a lot of things uh and i, I sort of want to understand your role there and then why you sort of bowed out when it came to playing with heart. This is really a good thing to ask about because no matter how many times we try to change that on Wikipedia, somebody changes it back. Yeah. I never played the drums with the Army. I was the manager of the group. See, I thought that and, was the case. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't Nancy's boyfriend. 
and I didn't play guitar either. <laughs> but you... I did wear a, a ton of hats and did everything that needed to be done besides playing in the, in the band. So you were like, you were managing, you were, at the time back in that day, were you actually booking the band as well? Sort of, that's the way. Yeah. It right. Absolutely. I, you know, I, um, I, I thought it was just great that Raj played guitar, and I really loved watching him grow and develop as a musician and a, right. and a songwriter and entertainer, and, and I did everything I could do to, to support that. And then later, with uh, when we started Heart, I did everything I could do to support those people becoming all they could be. That was that was what was thrilling and satisfying to me. Roger, let's talk about it. You grew up playing guitar. What? How old were you when when you started to do it? Uh, Fifteen. Fifteen. You didn't start at like yeah. six. Oh no, I got a really late start, and uh, it's surprising, uh, you know how how well it did because uh, the people who turn out to be champions at their trade tend to start when they're you know under ten years old. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So how fast did you pick it up and you feel like it was obviously pretty quick? And when, when, when were you playing in your first band, Army? When I first picked up the guitar, I immediately found how to play Louie Louie just by ear. And, and it went on and on like that. And it was real easy. But then oh, I practiced eight hours a day with uh, practice on stuff that I shouldn't have been practicing on because it wasn't correct. So then I had to unlearn that and relearn after that. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it wasn't long before me and Steve Fossen and somebody else from high school were uh, playing together in a little band, and then it wasn't long before we called that the Army, and we had two other great players. Uh, this other guy, Don Wilhelm, is one of the most respected musicians in the Northwest still today. When a person's love for a craft is so strong it makes them entrenched in it in a way that transfers to a public, to an audience, as joy. And right. whether, it doesn't matter how good you are. It matters what you are uh, vibing to the public. When you're, when you're vibing your absolutely joy at the craft, they can't help but like it. You know, it's one thing working on like a, uh, a sport, I guess, and you still have to, have, you have to be healthy and you've got to have the athletic ability and all that, but but in, in the music sense, you're right about that. I've seen so many people that have probably overachieved. I'm probably one of them because of uh, my desire and love for it. And we know, you know, when you always take care of the music, uh, it takes care of you. That's the way it's all, we've always sort of uh, sort of thought it through and 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 hope that was the case. Now it'll beat on you a little bit. You know, it's beat on me pretty good. <laughs> but but you know, yeah. you don't remember the beat downs as much as you remember the victories. All right, so go ahead. I'm sorry. A really good example of that is like Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. Mm -hmm. When they were starting out, they just loved the blues. You know, they weren't interested in being rock stars or making money as much as they were just being in absolutely ensconced in the in the blues and wanting to bring that to British people. Right. And a real uncanny thing that happens with people who go back to roots, like Clapton and, and Beck and Led Zeppelin and all these guys, is that a vibe of something that there are no words for comes through and communicates with an audience. I, I believe that you know, the blues that originated in the Delta, that, you know, you listen to that stuff and it's eerie, it'll make your skin crawl. There's something really deep going on there. And I think it goes back 
to Africa, where we all came from, yeah. and a uh, kind of an ineffable connection that we have to the first human beings that that, that came out of there. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I think it's a really a deep thing, a sense of spirit that goes way back. We're, we're talking to rock and roll Hall of Famer Roger Fisher from the band Heart right now. His brother Mike Fisher, co-founders of the band Heart, among many others. So, Roger, you're talking about you're working on a project right now that has a lot to do with the roots, right? Exactly. When we were down uh, in Mississippi last time, that's right, in 2016. We were deeply inspired by all the stories and background we heard uh, of the blues and, and life down there and life around the Mississippi River. We were hanging out with Jeff Emmerich, the producer, or uh, the, the uh, audio engineer from the Beatles, and uh, traveling around and getting stories uh, told by Scott Coopwood. Who yeah. a lot of people in the south, <laughs> right? And uh, and we spoke at the uh, the Grammy Museum in Cleveland, and all these experiences added up to an overwhelming inspiration that made us want to create an album uh, about the lineage from Africa to the Delta and how that blossomed into most of what is modern music, right? <clears throat> so we we uh, we've got an album just about finished called Heart of the Blues, and uh, it. Well, geez, you know, yeah, it we we love it. We just absolutely love it. We think it's a great, important album. What's the plan? Well, I'm I'm going to jump to Mike Fisher right now. Mike, Mike, Mike has the plan. I imagine it's a pretty involved plan. But the uh, the highlights of it are is that we start touring and release the album in the fall. We're talking to Roger Fisher, Mike Fisher, of the band Heart co-founders this is like a tongue-tying day for me because uh i i grew up such a fan and i grew up a fan because my brothers they were older i'll tell the story uh of that when we come back here in the mississippi minute i'm steve azar stand by Hey folks, in the market for new pillows, I'd like to tell you about who I believe strongly is the best pillow manufacturer made right here in the USA, my friends at Beds by Design and their amazing Omni Pillow. The Omni Pillow is made with a copper infused fabric and they use high quality fabric. The copper has been known to be antifungal, antibacterial and good for the skin. The OmniFlow is the foam in the inside. Designed by their veteran team, the OmniFlow is a one-of-a-kind product that is unlike any other material. It is a patent material that adjusts as the weight is applied. They combine that with responsive temperature control that regulates your body temperature as you sleep. OmniPillow has a 100-day return policy. And listen to this. They'll donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal? To give away 1 million pillows. It also comes with a stress cube that sells for 10 bucks. Give yourself a much-deserved life's rest. Go to OmniPillow.com. That's OmniPillow.com. Enter promo code Steve Azar and receive 20% off with free shipping. You won't regret it. Thanks, guys. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Holy 
I'm Steve Azar. We are with Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. That's, I said that. I love saying that. Roger Fisher, <laughs> Banhart, his sidekick brother who made everything happen, Mike Fisher. And they are in Parts Unknown, Washington, an hour apart, which is a good idea for brotherhood. And I, so I wanted to tell you guys, so when I'm growing up, my brothers used to have a ritual. When they'd go see a concert, they would spend weeks listening to the album, right? The vinyl, and they'd, it would be cranked up in the house. When back then, you know, the big speakers and the big, you know, everything was huge. Uh, they would just let it play and play and play, and then they'd go to the concert, they'd come back, and they'd be wearing the T-shirt. <laughs> so, so it was always the same. And obviously, one of those bands were you guys, and Louisiana LaRue was the band that was opening for you guys with New Orleans Ladies and all that. You know, back in that day, acts had to be able to play live. Don't you agree? It was all about being a great live act. Yeah, and the thing is, is uh, we formed the group up in Vancouver, B.C., where we were living at the time, and really honed the ability to get an audience off by playing in nightclubs right? Uh, five, six nights a week, four or five hours a night. And under the tutelage of Mike Fisher, the the axe-wielding manager who yeah. would, <laughs> would tear us to shreds if we did anything that he didn't think was professional or, you know, quality. It was hard to take a lot of the times, but it sure made us into a good band so that finally when we did uh, have some uh, hit material on the radio and we started to play bigger shows, God, we were really good. <laughs> yeah, well, you pre you were prepared. You know, it's when all that time yeah. comes and you take care of, of that. When I, I toured Bob Seger for about nine months, and he was meticulous at soundcheck. He'd go through everything, all uh, over and over, He'd making sure everything was like it needed to be. And uh, yeah. Bob and I used to talk about that, how, how that was the only way. Absolutely. You know, we were really blessed to be born in a in a an incredible environment of music origins of touring promoters and stuff came from here it was uh, this company called concerts west which started out doing these local dances and with the whalers and the kingsmen and nearly right. rush and all these bands the sonics <laughs> and and it turned into a bigger and bigger thing and before long concerts west was like doing all of the tours they were doing elvis presley and led zeppelin and just mm -hmm. everybody and we grew up with tons of places to play it was all about playing for people right and in vancouver it was the same thing it was those people lived to go out at night and go to a club right it's a lifestyle looking at a video yesterday that was comparing the music of the 60s to the music of uh today they did this big study uh using all kinds of complex algorithms to figure out what you know, uh, how that music compares. Back in the 60s, everything was being done for different motivational reasons than they're being done today, it seems like, mm -hmm. where the music was being created out of joy and inspiration and out of a, a, a need to lift the, the mental and spiritual and, and gut relationship of people to their environment because the musicians saw a lot of things that, that were headed in the wrong direction. Right. <laughs> and so they, they created this wonderfully inspiring, challenging music. And today it seems to be more about getting likes and getting popularity and making money. But all that is about to change, I think. Right now, rap 
uh, dominate. You're right. But I think there's going to be a resurgence of rock and blues. I think because of the shallowness and the fact that so much of today's music is done with a drum machine and a synthesizer, right? that real musicians playing instruments with virtuosity is going to become the big thing again. I, I totally agree with you. And let me tell you why. another reason why, and an- another uh, good sign of that being true and very prophetic statement is, think about it. It used to be all about playing live, and now it's all about playing live because people are streaming your music, so you're not your sales aren't there. And so, of course, record record labels have tapped into figuring out how they can get a lot of that now, and uh, and they're doing the 360 deals and they're getting a piece of everything. But the bottom line is, it's already come full circle. So live is where it's at, and then you just said it. People are going to sort of get tired of seeing the drum machines and the da 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 and all that. And, and look, there's there's acts that are working that I know that. They get the good-looking drummer who's working out. It's, the joke is now <laughs> that he doesn't need to work on his chops. He needs to be in the weight room to look great. And then they got the drum machine going. And it's triggering everything that they're doing. And it's almost like you're faking it, you know, to look good. And that's yeah. going to go away. Great musicianship and all that. It runs. It's going to run this cycle. And, and I totally agree with you. So I'll, I'll quit talking about that. Like, tell me, tell me, growing up in a music scene. So you guys grew up in Seattle, right? Or did yeah. you? Grow, okay. Tell me about that scene because it evolved so many times. What was it like being a kid? You know, as grunge happened. You know, and before that, it was Jimi Hendrix. And and look at you guys. And look with you guys in Heart. By the way, we're with Roger Fisher and Michael Fisher of Heart. It was fantastic. We had a scene that was like punk rock before people knew what punk rock was, uh, with bands that were that were punk rock bands. <laughs> and 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 the, Mike and, and the uh, the British guys, you know, the Stones and and the Beatles, those guys, yeah. they loved these bands, and yeah. they, they were really influenced by these bands, the Sonics, the Wailers. Every little area of this. You know, metropolitan area, every little local area had like a roller rink or, you know, community center or something. And they always had these teen dances every weekend. And you could go from one to the next and hear these really, really good bands. And, you know, like uh, like the Kingsmen and the Whalers and, and all of those guys, they got really good because they played these places constantly. And they were, I mean, the attendance was huge. It was, you know, thousands of people. Right. And so that's where we got to get started. We would go, we would promote our own shows. In fact, we had a one facility that was kind of close to where we grew up, where the owner of it told me he would just let me book the place. And, right. And we would put on our shows and book other bands in there. You know, my brother, so we, so you'll know, my, my brother and I were working together for 20 years. So my older brother did what Mike did, Roger. And so he ended up coming, going to Nashville with me and he managed uh, the crickets. He managed the outfield. Uh, Shelton, uh, Hank three, which was uh, Hank Jr.'s son, Hank Williams Sr.'s grandson. He managed a, a quite a few bi- few people. Went on the road a while with uh, Motley Crue. And I mean, it was crazy. You know, he, he was out mm-hmm. there and a lot like, you know, a lot like what you guys did. He booked those things for me as well. So, uh, and we played anywhere we could, you know, anywhere. I think we played weddings and funerals. I don't even remember. I, I remember standing by grave, grave sites, I think. 
And so <laughs> anybody, anybody that would have a so So how old were you when, were you guys even born when Hendrix was around? Well, you know, Hendrix really made it big in, in, uh, in England and then came back here to be popular after that. <laughs> but um, we, we got to see him play twice, uh, and that was really thrilling. Yeah, you know, and you know, interesting thing is that some of those guys would just hang out here, like the Zeppelin guys. They used to just hang out here in town. Nobody knew that they were like kind of staying here in extended periods from time to time. But right, <laughs> yeah, but they they would. We became friends with uh, this guy named Tom Hewlett, who was kind of the main guy in Concerts West, and. Uh, that was a really fun to hear his stories of of Elvis and uh, all these incredible groups that that they yeah. were touring with. Elvis used to play at my mom's high school and my dad's. So I mean, you know, we grew up in Clarksdale and in Greenville. My family did, and they, it was like no big deal. I mean, it was like you know, the, and Charlie Pride would come shop at my mom's grocery store when he played baseball in his uh-huh. baseball uniform. It was always around us, you know. So so similar similar paths of, of greatness that were all around you and it was just sort of a, sort of the norm and and the final about seattle but down in the delta you're just treated like hey what's up how'd your show go you know <laughs> elvis yeah. how'd, how'd it go elvis <laughs> you know and the rest of the world is freaking <laughs> out you know so we're talking to roger fisher mike fisher the band heart and beyond guys since you guys uh you get to play dj since you've been here and you get it and you're making a record that is inspired by us, you get to play DJ. Would you like to hear into the break a little Muddy Waters or Howlin' Wolf? Because Mississippi is the birthplace of it all. Have a little chat amongst yourselves and give me one answer. <laughs> Raj, I'll defer to Raj on this since uh, he's a guitar player. And <laughs> sure, let, Let's hear Muddy Waters. All right, you got it. We're talking to the Fisher Brothers from Ben Hart. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute. We'll be right back. I don't know who, who's your man. Hey folks, if you're tired of being tired because your pillow isn't doing his job at night, give my buddy Chad and his team at OmniPillow a go. OmniPillow has a 100-day return policy, and listen to this. They will donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal is to give away 1 million pillows. It also comes with a stress cube that sells for 10 bucks. You'll thank me, I promise. Give yourself a much-deserved life's rest. Go to OmniPillow.com. Enter promo code Steve Azar. That's OmniPillow.com, promo code Steve Azar, and you'll receive 20% off with free shipping. If you ask me, there's no better pillow on the planet. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We are on the downside of a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, because you know that's how we roll. I am with Roger Fisher, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame guitar player, songwriter, with the band Heart, Mike Fisher, the band Heart co-founder. He did it all. He did it all. Without Mike, everybody's looking uh, to figure out what the heck, which step to take, which direction to go. 
He was the guy you wanted at the crossroads, so he can go this way. So guys, <laughs> let's talk about heart. Okay, so how old are you, Roger? How old are you, Mike, when you guys stumble across uh, Nancy and Ann Wilson and, and, and it just starts to jail? Well, let's see. Right. I mean, I'm, I was born in 1950, so that gives you a clue as to how old I am. And yep. I tell you what, it, I feel it. <laughs> yeah, I know. We all but, feel it. Uh, I think I was 23 or 24. Does that sound right, Rod? Yeah, that sounds real close. Yeah, 22 or 23 for me. And, and uh, I remember we all moved up to Canada, or that is, uh, Ann and Mike and I in 75. And then y'all get together. Was it instant? Like, this makes sense. The songwriting process was easy. Um, I know when I did my interviews with Mark Bryan from Hootie and the Blowfish, their first songs were their hits. I mean, the first ones. And I'm like, don't tell me that. I don't want to hear it. So, I mean, the very first song they wrote was that Dean and them, or I think that uh, Sony walked in with, Jim Sony Bill was Hold My Hand, and that was a big hit. And the next one, I mean, all their first songs were hits. They started popping right out. Yeah, I figured you, you know, were the thing do that. is that we had been in a boot camp situation. We treated performing in clubs and doing cover material as that that's like college, rock right. and roll college for us. And we would challenge ourselves learn songs that were beyond our ability so that we could get good enough to play them. Everything was part of a strategy to become fantastic and to, to learn the things that we needed to know to write great music and that people would like and that would fit into the, the time period where we were, you know, the stuff that was right for now. Right. And so we were ready. We were ready to go, and we did. All right, first album. So it was songs off the first album. What was the first album called? It was... Uh... Dreamboat Annie. Okay, Dreamboat Annie. Incredible. Okay, so what songs came off of that? Crazy on You, Magic Man. <laughs> yeah, just unbelievable. Uh, so Barracuda's yeah. not yet. So, you, so, so no. Dreamboat Annie, who do y'all start touring with? Are you opening for somebody immediately? What label are you signed with? Well, we did a kind of quasi-big show with uh, Botman Turner Overdive. Mm -hmm. Uh they were like the biggest band in the world right then. <laughs> and they were our neighbors and, you know, they were at the studio all the time. But uh, first really big show we did was with Rod Stewart in Montreal. Just an unforgettable experience. It was just incredible. Wow. We had designed our show uh, after, you know, taking a lot of time in clubs, knowing what pe what gets people off. We designed the show that by the end of the set, people would be going bananas. We were doing, doing this show with Rod Stewart where we were the opening act, mm -hmm. and we were only given like, like 25 or 30 minutes or something really brief, but Rod Stewart got busted at the border with for cocaine or something, and he was delayed. And so they kept telling us, keep going, keep going. And so we did, and by the time we got to the end of our set, man, those people, we got four encores, a band that people hardly knew. Our album had just come out, was just barely getting airplay, and after that show, our uh, single went to number one in, in uh, Montreal. It was really cool. Uh, what a great story. Rod's out there rocking and rolling a little too much. He doesn't make, doesn't get, did he ever make the show? Yeah, he did. He, he showed up, and he was fantastic. Later, like it was only a couple years ago, we were doing uh, our own show, and uh, we had this video guy, and he he said he wanted to come up and talk because we were doing this uh, question and answer thing with the audience, and he said, 
you guys don't know this, but I was the tour manager for Rod Stewart on that show. After you guys played, he told me, Rod told me, he said, who booked these guys? And this guy said, I did. And he says, I never want them to open for me again. <laughs> he didn't want to have to follow us. Was this he the, had to work extra hard that night. Please, he dang he right he did. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, so was this the pre-disco Rod Stewart, or were we talking about the good stuff? They're the great stuff. The, the great, great stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Okay, I didn't hate the disco thing because we were all into it at the, for a moment until uh, the Bee Gees, bless the hearts, the Bee Gees really took took it for the team. They took it on the chin. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we opened for them, too, for a whole tour before they did Saturday Night Fever, the Nights on Broadway tour, and we did an extensive touring with uh, ZZ Top and the Doobie Brothers. and Which makes a lot of sense to me. Going into it, a lot of the bands didn't think we would because... They didn't know what we were like live. They just knew that there were these girls singing, trying to sing some rock and roll. Right. <laughs> but, but like when we played with Rush, man, those guys were kind of condescending and arrogant, you know, yeah. before the show. Right. And uh, we were at it because their, their St. Louis show wasn't doing too well. And our album was just taken off. And they put us on the bill and it sold out instantly. Right. And then they got the thrill of having to try and follow us, which they came to the dressing room after we were done and they said, man, you guys rocked it. You were so good. You know, that's the way That's the way to do it. Okay, so let's talk about Barracuda. Um, is it album two? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, kind of. It, kind magazine of. was actually released before we got Barracuda out there. And that, that whole thing was just a real debacle. And in what way? An incredible story in itself. Well, um, we were out there touring our brains out with no tour support. An opening act was making like, I think we were getting like $1,500 a show, which, you know, yeah. doesn't cover your expenses when you have hotels and airfares and, and you, you know, you're touring every day. You're getting um, no tour support from the label? None. They not only no tour support, no royalties either. Because, well, that you don't expect you know, royalties, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had like one of the hottest selling debut albums in history, but our our little record company couldn't keep up with the cost of filling the pipeline with product when you have to wait for it to get no, sold. No, my guy, it's so back. funny. So you're in there, you're probably driving in vans. You're you're just basically living in what two rooms, a hotel, or I mean, how are y'all even? Tell me, you've got hits. You're opening for these acts. Uh, you're helping fill the seats. You know, by the time Barracuda came out, we were already headlining. I mean, okay. that happened really fast. We we toured really hard, opened for a lot of big bands, and pretty soon we were able to to headline ourselves. So we were out in the Midwest somewhere, and uh, Fargo, North Dakota. Okay. We were doing our uh, pre pre tour prep. We had rented this arena in. I think it was Fargo, North Dakota, for a whole week. And we set up all the sound and lighting stuff. And Raj and Mike Roger would, and I would go there every day and just spend the whole day in there just jamming away and working on tech issues and just getting everything dialed. And they started playing this thing, and it was just monstrous. It just sounded huge. You know, you got a picture, like an 8,000-seat arena that's completely empty except for this huge sound system and, and a bunch of guys playing their brains out having a great right. time <laughs> and uh i had this uh recorder and, and it was a, it was brand new then it was like one of the first uh 
multi-track portable machines. It was like an eight-track, and so I was recording everything, and Raj and those guys worked out the whole music part of that song. The whole bed of the song was created, and I re- recorded it and t- made a cassette, and I gave it to Anne and said, we got to turn this into a song. You need to write some lyrics for this. And then a few days later, in the end of the tour, uh, she had this run-in with this record guy that just pissed her off. Hmm. <laughs> she went and wrote those lyrics. Uh, just They just came out and fit really well. Wow. Isn't it interesting that the guy, the inspiration that uh, the Barracuda himself <laughs> was the inspiration, and then all of a sudden you, you helped them win again. <laughs> But, yeah, but I know you win. But but the funny thing That's, is, I love it. You give them more more reasons not to give you your royalties when you sell millions of records. <laughs> We're talking to <laughs> Roger Fisher, Mike Fisher, the band Heart. What a great story! So that's where the song Barracuda came. I mean, and just uh, so when you recorded the song, tell me the process because I feel like y'all set up live and just just did it like you were at, at when you created the song at Soundcheck. Well, that that goes back to this whole magazine story uh, with that album because. What happened was is that we weren't getting supported by the record label. They had a really talented guy there in charge of promo, and he was really talented, but he was also like this coke fiend who had a megalomania thing going on where he just thought everything that was happening was because of him. Yeah. And he decided to fire our producer because they, they were having a dispute over what to do with the company where our producer knew that we were the thing that was making the company right, work. Right. And he was championing for us. And this bat. guy thought, no, no, we need to get some more bands and do this and that and the other thing. And so anyway, they fired him. Hmm. I had put a key man clause in our record deal so that if he was removed from the record company, that we could leave. And so they, they, Apparently, they didn't take that very seriously. Or they they didn't, they forgot. (laughs) Yeah, so we said, see ya. You know, either get him back or we're gone. We're talking to Roger Fisher, Mike Fisher of the band Heart during the Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. Stand by. JT Show. And you have to respect them for that. Weekdays at 10, Super Talk, Mississippi. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We are with Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. That's, I said that. I love saying that. Roger Fisher, the band heart, his sidekick brother who made everything happen, Mike Fisher. Let me ask you this. So, Roger, you and Nancy dated for a long time? Yeah. Yeah, we were together for four years. Oh, it was just four years. Okay, beginning or middle or, or the end of the of the heart run? Oh, that was, that was at the beginning. Okay, yeah. so y'all dated four years and, and everything was okay after that. Y'all were together for almost 20 years, right? More like 10 years. Could be. Yeah, she was coming to visit a lot and playing with us. Um, 
she was going to college at the time, so her, her mom had her on this really good path, and she was a great student. She like straight-A college student, and her mother was so disappointed when she decided to be in a band instead of, you know, an academic uh, kind of job. We were out in Montana on tour just doing nightclubs, and I was all in love with Nancy and was trying to woo her heart. She had already seen what a... Uh, kind of a rascal I was, you know, I, and it, it was back in the days when it was really free love and anything goes all the time. So yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I'm trying to woo her, and we were both learning how to play mandolins at the same time, and we both owned these cheap mandolins. So we're in Great Falls, Montana, and I'm writing this song on mandolin that's supposed to win her heart, <laughs> and it it came out on the Little Queen album. It's called Sylvan Song. Yeah. So anyway, she she heard that, and I, I, I guess that I guess it worked. The mandolin of all instruments. It was a beautiful relationship because I was with Man and Mike was with Ann, and I thought Mike wasn't with Ann. No, he wasn't the drummer. Oh, oh, the, okay. <laughs> oh, so wait a minute. So you were with Ann, Mike. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I thought you no, said earlier no, you was, weren't was, with Ann. Okay, I got I, it now. I was with Ann before we started the band. Ah. Uh, yeah. No, see, what happened was Roger and part. Ann were in a band that was doing kind of an R&B thing with some Rolling Stones in there and mm -hmm. Delaney and Bonnie and, you know, stuff like that. Right. And I went to see him play. I went to see my brother play in this band. I walk in this club, and they're sitting on the floor. There's this girl with a glass of wine, a cigarette, and some lyrics for a song she's about to learn. And she looks up at me, and her eyes meet, and <laughs> bam, it's just like love at first sight. Just Wow. Like, she and I just, I mean, fell head over heels in love, and pretty soon she quit that band, and just one day she just showed up at my house yeah. with her bags out of the blue. The she Brotherhood, you guys, had, you guys have game, had game, right? Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> so we, we, I was going to college at the time, and uh, she just lived there real happily and, and didn't want to be in a band anymore and didn't know what she wanted to do, but we were sure happy together. And wow. then uh, I was became possessed with this vision of her doing more aggressive rock with her incredible voice with Roger's power, and then at the same time being able to really subtle, really like Joni Mitchell-y finesse, you know, yeah. being able to have both of those worlds together in one band, I just it just blew my mind that we could do that. That we had it, the power in Roger and the and vocal uh, strength in Anne to pull that off because I was this huge Zeppelin fan at the time. Right. I, I want to talk about this real quick. I do want to know what it felt like as a brother to watch your brother. So do do you both get Hall of Fame? I mean, or or is it just Roger because he was a player? Uh, it was just the original members of the band. Okay, so you get to just sit there and watch that and and just yeah, it was great. It I was love really it. Great. I know it was great to be a brother and watch your brother do that. I mean, you're talking about this elite group. You know, they just don't let anybody in there. That's still to me the one of the le most legit deals there are. It's not easy to do, and you guys did it. Do you ever sort of rearview mirror it and go? Wow. Do you ever do that, or is it just like no big deal? It, it's amazing. You know, in the business world, people talk about how business is a jungle. Man, the music business is the hardest yeah. jungle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the part of the jungle. 
where you're eating alive, you know, Constantly. and it's really, really hard to win there. And I've been in other businesses. They just seem like a cakewalk to me right. compared to what the music business is like. Yeah. I can't thank you guys enough for being on the show. I mean, Roger Fisher, Mike Fisher, the band Hart, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think we've gotten the great skinny. Talk, great talking with you, Steve. Really, really uh, excellent conversation. It's been great. You've been an in a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. Actually, we passed 60, so I don't know what my producers are going to do, but Roger Fisher, Mike Fisher, the band Hart, it's been an honor and a blessing, and boys, I will see you soon. I'm Steve Azar, in a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.